Okay, folks, welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. This is your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and a medical oncologist. I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. And as you know, over the past several months, I have covered the ABIM maintenance of certification debacle that has been reignited after the petition that Dr. Aaron Goodman from UCSD started on July 21st, 2023. That petition currently is nearing 21,000 signatures asking for ending the MOC. Several societies have come in support of refining uh, or changing the MOC in its current shape. And I am today hosting the American Society of Hematology President, Dr. Robert Brodsky, as well as Dr. Mikhail Sikiris, who is the Chair of Communication Committee at ASH, but he is on this podcast in his personal capacity today. And I wanted to discuss with them the recent ASH statement pertaining to the maintenance of certification. Now, I urge all of you listeners and to uh, check out the few other podcasts that we that I have taped on the subject, so at least you can be abreast of all of the developments and what has happened over the past several months. But just to summarize it, so everybody is on the same page, the American Board of Internal Medicine and its subspecialties the American Board of Internal Medicine basically issues certifications for physicians to be board certified in internal medicine or any of their subspecialties. And after 1990, uh, it has become, Im- basically the ABIM decided that it's uh, not basically a certificate that is uh, forever. In fact, physicians who are certified after 1990, they needed to be recertified every 10 years. Subsequent to that, there has been a lot of iterations into what to be done, lots of backlash, back and forth. But at the end, right now, the choices are after every any physician who is certified by the ABIM, after the initial certification, if 10 years have passed, then they have two choices. Either they sit for the 10-year exam again, or they do longitudinal knowledge assessment, or what they call LKA, when the A, where the ABIM sends quarterly questions for each board certification, 30 questions. These are timed questions. Each question has four minutes only to answer. And they send these quarterly, and you need to actually answer them. You must pay annual fees no matter what, and you also need to get MOC points, which usually can get either through CME activities or other activities, but it depends. So the bottom line is, even if you are board certified, you must take the tests again and again and again. So many physicians have contended that this is really not appropriate. It does not really lead to better quality care, it actually adds to burnout, it might affect a lot of um, the physician workload. And that led to the um, petition that I just mentioned. I subsequently hosted Dr. Rich Barron, the CEO and president of the ABIM, and he has been the president of that organization for the past 10 years. And he came on the show alongside Aaron Goodman, and it was an explosive show. And um, frankly, uh, I, I was as neutral as possible, but Dr. Barron did not have any convincing answers to many of the questions that were raised. I just learned a couple of weeks ago that he has announced that he is stepping down from his post as president and CEO of the ABIM, effective, I believe, September or August 2024. Whether this is related to the backlash that has happened right now or not, it's really not known. Uh, the ABIM claims that this is not related, but you know, I'll let your imagination go wild whether this is the case or not. So a couple of organizations, as I said, uh, have come uh, forward with uh, suggestions that this is not appropriate. Sky, the Society of uh, Cardiovascular Intervention and Angiography, or angiography and intervention, uh, came with a strong statement against the MOC, and I interviewed their leadership on a podcast that you could find and listen to. 
And recently, Ash came up with a very, very strong statement. I am a member of Ash. I'm a proud member of Ash. Um, by virtue of disclosure, I actually also chair the subcommittee on quality at Ash. But Ash came with a very strong statement. It didn't necessarily say end the MOC, but it really asked the ABIM to make significant modification to the MOC. They sent a letter directly to the to Rich Baron and the ABIM. And I can tell you within a couple of hours, the ABIM issues a response. And that response was very disappointing. It pretty much told me that everything that Ash brought up to the ABIM fell on deaf ears. Pretty much the ABIM said, well, no, thank you. We appreciate what you said, but we're not going to make any changes. We've already made a lot of changes that you are proposing right now. So I've reached out to Ash, and I am very thankful to the American Society of Hematology for allowing me to uh, interview their leaders on this podcast, Healthcare Unfiltered. Dr. Brodsky, despite his very busy schedule and very tight schedule, uh, uh, comes on this podcast, and he's going to share with you his views, what led to this statement, what does that actually mean, and this is really the first step, what are the next steps after this statement. Dr. Miakal Sikiris has written a lot of uh, op-eds on the topic, and I urge you to look at his reading writings. He also wrote a couple of books that are really amazing, and I read both of them. I highly recommend both. And, um, you know, he also chairs the uh, communication committee, so we're going to talk to him about how do you communicate some of these issues to internal and external stakeholders and what are the next steps. So this is a long monologue, but to make sure that you know how we got here, this episode is airing on October 17, 2023, and it was taped on October 5th, 2023. Thank you in advance to Dr. Robert Brodsky and Mikhail Sikiris for coming on the podcast, and special thanks to Ash for watching for its members, and hopefully this is the first step of many other initiatives that are going to all lead to better process into what's going on with these examinations, if at all they remain needed. Uh, before I air the podcast, I'd like to thank you for supporting it and thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate it, write a brief review. You can watch all of these episodes on my YouTube channel, Chadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. You can follow me on Twitter at Chadi Nabhan or Instagram, Chadi underscore Healthcare Unfiltered. If you want to read the book, don't forget Toxic Exposure, the true story behind the Monsanto trials and the, and the, and the search for justice. And without further ado, the ash position on the ABIM MOC right now, exclusively on Healthcare Unfiltered. Rob, this is your first time on the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. Uh, and uh, what this means, there's a possibility I may send you a T-shirt. Imagine that. Oh, but, uh, wow. That's exciting. I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> so, but uh, maybe a little bit about you, just uh, a little bit about you, the the non-ASH president uh, uh, of Rob Brodsky. I started my uh, career here. Uh, really, I did my residency at Vanderbilt and uh, did my hematology training at NIH and then oncology at uh, Hopkins. I kind of short-tracked twice. Uh, and I've been on the faculty at, at Johns Hopkins, I guess, since 1997. And I've been the director of the Division of Hematology since uh, 2004. Um, so going on 20 years now. My research has been in a lot of different areas in bone marrow failure states, um, uh, looking at uh, aplastic anemia and PNH. Uh, also, I have a, a research lab where I study complement biology. Um, really some groundbreaking, new, exciting uh, research in, in, in that field uh, going to be coming out soon. And I've also been a big uh, advocate and developer of haploidentical bone marrow transplants for non-malignant hematologic conditions such as sickle cell disease and, and aplastic anemia. So that's kind of how I spend my days. Thank you so much for coming on. And we'll talk a little bit about your um, administrative role uh, at ASH. Uh, Mikael, you're a recurring guest on the podcast, but for a few people who haven't heard you before, a little bit about you. Sure. First, I wanted to make the comment that the Healthcare Unfiltered t-shirt, Rob, is a nice breathable fabric. Uh, you can wear it to work and then to the clubs on South Beach right afterwards. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very fashion forward, so you, you'll really enjoy it. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, we, we'll get the address after the show and we'll mail one. Um, so nice to be back. Chadi, thank you for inviting me. I'm Mikhail Sekris. I'm chief of the Division of Hematology at the Sylvester Cancer Center at University of Miami, also a professor of medicine. Um, as you know, my specialty are myeloid malignancies, specifically myeloid dysplastic syndromes and acute myeloid leukemia in older adults. I also um, hesitantly describe myself as a writer, uh, so I've written a number of um, essays and a couple of books and um, have actually written a series of essays directed to the ABIM about their credentialing for years now, um, first in Oncology Times, then in Ash Clinical News, and more recently in uh, MedPage. It actually, um, that essay came out right before Aaron Goodman's survey uh, was released. Um, I do have a leadership role at Ash. I'm the uh, chair of the Committee on Communications but am here today in my own capacity and not representing Ash. So it's so nice to see you. And Rob, it's great to share a, a podcast with you. Well, welcome, Mikael. And um, uh, I'm a big fan of your writing. So for folks who have not really read your books, uh, they're really excellent and, and uh, very easy to read. Rob, how, how, um, why did you decide to um, put your name on the ballot uh, to become an Ash president? Yeah, it was. Uh, I was nominated, uh, and uh, they asked me if I would uh, want to run, and and I said sure. I mean, I've been involved in Ash pretty long time. I started uh, shortly after joining the faculty. I was uh, one of the first Ash scholars. They they have this uh, that's been a very successful program for the American Society of Hematology, supporting uh, physician scientists at you know early stages of their career. And then uh, I guess, uh, I don't know, about uh, 10 years ago or so, I was uh, chair of the one of the scientific subcommittees on bone marrow failure. And uh, from that, uh, I, I got asked to be the scientific chair of, of co-chair of the meeting with um, uh, Ross Levine. Uh, and then uh, from there, I became a secretary and I was secretary for four years. Uh, and that just kind of uh, led to to eventually being nominated uh, to run for president. And you know, I, I over the years I've just got to see all the wonderful things uh, that that Ash does, and and began to realize that you can have really more of an impact on hematology, getting involved with Ash than you can in a lot of administrative roles, say in your in your own university, more on a national and global level. So, so how much time is this? Like, what does a day in the life of an Ash president look like? Because you've got a lab, you have a faculty appointment, but then you have the Ash thing. So, how, 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 what do you actually do as an Ash president day in and day out? I spend my time doing podcasts all day. No. That is the best thing you do, you've done for Ash, by the way. I, it's, it's, uh, the presidency year is 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 very busy. No, no, no question. The the you know, you, it's it's a succession. So you get you you run for vice president, and then if you uh, are elected vice president, you become president elect, and then president. the The role as vice president and president elect that's not that time consuming. The most time consuming, short of this year, was being ash secretary for four years. That's a lot of work, and um, that's you know you're really. Uh, you play a big part in in the abstracts of the meeting, um, setting up the plenary uh, sessions, the late breaking abstracts. You really have to know the meeting extremely well, uh, and you have to know um, a lot of the abstracts. This year, we broke a record in the number of abstracts submitted to Ash. There were almost seventy five hundred abstracts, and um, the Ash president has to be intimately aware of, of of at least five to 700 of those. Uh, I mean, the Ash vice uh, secretary really needs to know those extremely well. President uh, is very, very busy. Um, there's a lot of international travel. There's a lot of national travel. There's a lot of policy statements. Ash is involved in, in, in advocacy for um, so many things that you 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 wouldn't even realize some of the things that that Ash is involved in sickle cell legislation NIH 
funding. Uh, so we go, we do a lot of uh, visits to Capitol Hill. Um, we make a lot of public comments to, for for the White House and the and the Senate. We just were down there uh, giving. Uh, many of the staffers an update on on the newer therapies that are coming out in sickle cell and making sure that these are going to be paid for. Uh, so there's a, a lot of advocacy based on uh, our members and our patients. Um, and and then, you know, the meeting and, and all the things that ASH does globally uh, and nationally, it takes quite a bit of time. I would say this year it's about 20 to 25 percent of my effort is related to ASH. Wow, that's amazing. And um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Ash does a lot of initiative. I chair actually the subcommittee on quality for Ash, and it's always a pleasurable experience to work with the Ash staff for sure. Mikhail, I know that you're here in your personal capacity, but you have a leadership role at Ash as the Ash secretary. So, right or no? The yeah. chair of communication. Chair of communications, correct. So, so. What does that mean? I mean, like, do you, do you, if there's something that's happening outside that might affect the Ash membership, somebody comes to you and say, like, how how are you? When do you get involved? I guess. Yeah, that's it's a great question. So first of all, let me say that Dr. Brodsky has been amazing both as secretary and then as president. And I'm not just saying that because he's here and he's my you know wearing our Ash hat, my Ash <laughs> boss, um, but he's. He has an incredible mind and is, is so even keeled and goes about everything with such equipoise and thinking about the impact that Ash has on hematology worldwide. So Rob's been amazing. Um, I, I put in an order of 10,000 of his books. That's why I said that. <laughs> That's, that, that would do it. Actually, uh, Rob, you could have gone by with only 2,000. <laughs> even two. Even two <laughs> would have been enough. <laughs> um so Committee on, Committee on Communications, as the name implies, um, works with how ASH communicates with the outside world and how ASH communicates internally as well. Um, specific to the annual meeting, we go through all of the abstracts. Um, we select those that um, may uh, be more interesting to either science press or lay press. We put a media program together. Um, this is all voted on by a program committee. And I help moderate one of those sessions because I really want to be in the trenches and see how people are responding to some of the amazing research that's being presented at the annual meeting. Um, we also vet some outside websites to which Ash links, and we will generate some story ideas or things that Ash may want to cover with breaking news in hematology. And you see a lot of those ideas played out in full reports in either Ash Clinical News or the Hematologist. So we really work on how hematology writ large is communicated to the hematology community and to the outside world. So one of these issues that have happened over the past several months has been the ABIM and the maintenance of certification. And uh, I, you know, as I was preparing for this episode, I was telling uh, Rob before we went on the air, uh, there has been a lot of communication, frankly, between Ash and the ABIM, and I wasn't aware, actually, of how much effort previous to this Ash has put into the ABIM certification. Uh, but there's a lot, and folks who are listening or watching can actually Google this, and they'll see a lot of these things going. But a couple of months ago, um, Aaron Goodman, a hematologist, uh, you know, somehow decided to start a petition to end the maintenance of certification, and Aaron probably, uh, again, has huge, larger followings than uh, most of us. He's a you know a social media figure. So this petition did get a lot of traction, and it appeared to have hit a nerve. It's one of those things where pretty much a lot of physicians seem to relate to it, to end the MOC, and it actually came either around the time that, Mikael, you wrote an, an op-ed or after, like around that time, you wrote an op-ed also about your experience with, with the MOC. That petition led to over 20,000 signatures of physicians and stakeholders who are interested and, and basically voting to end the MOC. So, Rob, as an ASH president, obviously many of your constituents who are hematologists did sign that petition. When you see something like this, how has this come to your attention? Is it just monitoring the media and the social media and say, okay, this is something we can't ignore? Or like, how do you 
decide because there's a lot of things that you're not going to really address every single thing. You just, there's so many things. How do you pick and choose a topic that you need to address? How did this come to your attention? And how did you handle the situation uh, as you became aware of it? As you pointed out, I mean, Ash has been working with ABIM for, for really since 2001, uh, trying to get this system more user-friendly and, and um, of higher value to, to, and less burdensome to hematologists. Uh, one of the, the things that we um, were able to, to, to get them to do is, is uh, to get CME uh, type one CME credits to be used as mock points. So, I mean, remember you had, you had to do all these crazy things like have patients evaluate you or other physicians evaluate you. We, we, we kind of, we, 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 we got them to move away from that and, and allow CME uh, to be counted. The other thing we were able to do was to get them to agree that not every hematologist does the same practice, uh, you know, uh, Mikhail doesn't need to answer a whole bunch of questions about hemophilia, sickle cell, and TTP. He never sees that. That's not what he does. He, he sees leukemia and MDS. I mean, that, yeah, he sees some other hematologic malignancies, I'm sure, uh, as part of his practice and needs to know about that. But he really doesn't do a lot of classical hematologists, uh, uh, hematology. That's not his practice. There are other uh, physicians that see primarily sickle cell or coagulation. And 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 they don't do any hemolignancies, and and they don't need to know every uh, uh, mutation that's that's associated with uh, uh, the different leukemias and 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 what drugs might respond to them. So we were able to get them to to have a a, a set of questions that's mainly going to be classical hematology, you know, the majority of the questions, and then some general questions about hematologic malignancies, or you can choose a hemolignancy path where you do almost all hematologic malignancies and general questions of, about classical hematology or a general hematology uh, one. And they they had agreed to that uh, and, and were about to, to announce, and that's been publicly announced. I saw Aaron's uh, petition pretty early. I was never on social media uh, uh, until I- Now you will be. <laughs> until I became president. Uh, about uh, a year ago, and uh, the Ash staff convinced me it's you know it's it's important for the president to have some type of social media presence. So here I am. I'm on X now. I, I joined like a month before my my presidency, and and uh, I'm, I'm still learning. But anyhow, I, I yes, you're right. I, I think that did uh, trigger things. But uh, uh, again, those petitions, although it it, it raises awareness, it's not going to change anything. This is a this is not something that you you can just blow up overnight. It's a process. And Ash saw this. We had already been working on this. Uh, we already knew our members uh, were not happy. And actually, I went to CRTI, the uh, Clinical Research Training a a Institute that Ash does out in La Jolla. I think Aaron direct messaged me or something uh you know about uh, wanting uh, this something about you know what, what Ash's stance on this, and I, I, I said we're we're aware of this. We've been working with them. Uh, we continue to work on this. And I said, by the way, I'm going to be out in your in your backyard uh, in in a few days. And and he said, well, come 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 meet me. I'll take you for tacos. And so <laughs> so I, I I really wanted to hear his his perspective. Uh, and and. We had a great time. We went, we went, we got tacos and, and uh, it's a great place there called Oscars, by the way. And, uh, but I'll tell you what had the biggest impact on me was my time at CRTI because I spoke, I started speaking to a lot of our members and it was the members that really impressed upon me how burdensome and stressful this was to them. They were telling me how, you know, after a, 
10 hours in the hospital, they would go home, they still have to finish their notes. And then they would, an email would pop up, you know, saying you have 12 days or else you're going to lose your uh, certification or whatever, uh, you know, to, to, to complete these uh, questions. And then they were telling me about the time limits uh, and, and the, you know, how the four minutes, you know, uh, you know, many of the questions they would answer, answer in, you know, 30 seconds or so. And, uh, ABIM will tell you, oh, you know, the average uh, question is answered in, in two minutes or less. That may be true, but it doesn't uh, take away from the fact that you don't know how many you need to get right to to pass the exam. So, you know, if there's, say, 30 questions and uh, you get three out of the first seven wrong, you're like, oh no, <laughs> you know, now I got, and so, so now you're, you know, frantically Googling and up to dating. And they, they were just, they were telling me how, how burdensome that was. And then they were also telling me that they really weren't learning. And that was, that really bothered me. And then I, I the other thing I did is I went and I spoke to several people who actually write questions for ABIM. And these were people that were grandfathered. Yep. And I said to them, do you take the exam? And they said, no. They don't and, need to. And, 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 and that really, you know, highlights it for me because it's, it's really, how, how can you say, I mean, yes, there, you know, I, I think ABIM would love to run out the clock on the 6% of practicing physicians that are grandfathered. Because you can't argue that this is critical for development and and knowledge and and quality if if these people who haven't taken an exam for you know maybe 25, 30 years uh, more uh, are are still practicing medicine and these are really good doctors. Let me tell you, I would send any any of my patients or family to these uh, three physicians. Uh, because I know they are very good doctors, but they aren't involved in MOC. So that that's kind of really what what got me to to work with Ash and and bring this up as as an important topic that our members care about, and um, to say we really need to come out with a strong statement. And and it took us a little while to get there, um, but but in typical Ash fashion, uh, they really did their homework. Uh, they looked into what other countries are doing. They looked into how, you know, other societies were feeling about this. We really looked into what our members uh, were saying about this. We even read some of Mikhail's stuff. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and, and it really made us realize that this is something that we need to take an, a, a stance on. And we'll go over the letter, Rob. I, I, I appreciate you taking us through the process, uh, and I want to go over the letter as well as what uh, you know. How does it? You know, who's usually involved in this? Uh, Mikhail, around the same time as Aaron's petition uh, came out, you had written an op-ed. What led you to write this uh, op-ed? Um, uh, you know, what what triggered you to do that? It's a great question, Chadi. So I, I've been writing these op-eds for years and, and they, they follow a, a certain model. So um, when I was still in Cleveland, they were a letter from a Cleveland jail to the ABIM. My most recent one, of course, is a letter from a Miami jail to the ABIM. And I use that format because it actually echoes Martin Luther King's famous essay, Letter from a Birmingham Jail, and the fact that Henry David Thoreau wrote a letter from a jail. So there's this kind of model within editorials that, that, that follows this out of a jail. And I would define jail different ways in each of the essays. Um, but for, you know, when I first had to sit for the re-up of my board certification, and it was the 10-year exam, I isolated myself in a room away from my family after a 10-hour, 12-hour day working, seeing patients. Um, and studied and studied and studied and studied things that I hadn't seen at that point in 10 years. And I became a little depressed, Chadi, to be honest with you, uh, because I was isolated from my family. I was doing something I really didn't want to do that had no relevance to my care of patients. And that was only for the purpose of passing a test. And, you know, one of the first things we're taught when you run to your first 
code call, what are, what are we advised? The first thing we're advised is take your own pulse first, right? Take stock of yourself and where you are and how you're thinking and what you're going to contribute to a patient's care. So I took my own pulse and thought, gee, if I'm doing something that really isn't going to improve my care of patients, isn't going to improve me as an individual, because I was cramming information for an exam, that's not long-term learning, and it's making me depressed, why am I doing this? Why are any of us doing this? So I wrote my first letter from a jail to the ABIM. And I continued that and kept kind of harping on their tenure exam and what was the purpose of it? And why, why did they subject us to this? And I think even more so, why are we letting them subject us to this? So I know that, that some of those essays, I was texted by friends of mine who were working, were volunteering at the ABIM, who were saying, yeah, we're, you know, we're talking about your essays now at these high level meetings at the ABIM. So I, I hope in some way it helped contribute to the ABIM's willingness to, to change. I mean, I probably played a very small part in that. Ash played a huge part in that because it represents so many more people who are practicing. They came out with a longitudinal knowledge assessment and I thought, okay, thank God, I finally don't have to take that tenure exam that made me so depressed. And I started taking the longitudinal knowledge assessment. And I realized something, Chadi, that having, so, so now I'm at the 22 year mark after finishing fellowship and having to take regular tests that are timed about information that we don't need and isn't going to improve our care of patients is infantilizing. Why am I at this stage of my career still forced to answer a question about some esoterica of hematology or oncology if you're taking the med on boards and to do it within four minutes and to be under this constant time pressure? There's also that the, the most recent essay that I wrote talked about how it was like something your older brother would torture you in doing. Right? There are all these rules for taking these exams. You have four minutes to answer a question, but you can use an additional minute, but you only have 30 total minutes that you can use as your additional minute over the course of the year. So choose your additional minute wisely. And if you use your additional minute, whoops, it may be a test question that doesn't count towards anything, but you don't get that additional minute back. Right? Doesn't this sound like something your brother would do to your older brother to set you up to failure so you get in trouble with your parents? There are those aspects of it Chadi, that in the end, I thought are, are demeaning. They're demoralizing as well, because you come out of these exams and, and you know, you'll come out of taking the first 10 questions out of the 30 questions that we have. Five of them will be the pretest questions that don't count, which we're doing, we're paying ABIM to validate their own questions. Think about that logic. You, you get it right, then you find out it doesn't count then you're asked a question about something that is so esoteric, you'll see it maybe once in a career. That's the question that counts. When you get it, when, when you look at the answer though, and I've been using up to date to do my quick four minute searches on these questions, their answer actually contradicts directly word for word what up to date recommends. So you don't even trust the, the question. It's no wonder that it's demoralizing. I got a text a few nights ago from a very good friend who's who's internationally renowned um who was taking his lkas on a saturday night why was he taking it on a saturday night because that was uh september 30th it was the last day he could take it before he lost those questions so instead of spending time with his family he has two young children he was taking these questions and in real time texting me I can't believe they gave this answer. He was actually an investigator on the trial. They're quoting, they misquoted the trial, they misquoted the data on it. That's demoralizing. And I keep coming back to this word infantilizing. We're being yeah. treated No, I mean, like I, I think a lot of people share that with you and we'll, I'll go over some of the talking points that the ABIM will contend because I'd like you to react to it. But I want to go back to Rob. Rob, so this is something that you brought into ASH and you said, this is something I've already done my personal investigation and it's clearly something that is stressful to our own membership what's the process like do you is the board does the board meet and you go over uh, pluses minuses and then you decide to issue a statement 
do you call the ABIM and say, hey, we are going to issue a statement. We'll give you a chance to react because I want to go through the ASH letter. I want to also go through the ABIM response to the ASH letter. Yeah, so that, now I'm glad you asked that question. Um, so first of all, Mikhail summarized exactly what I was hearing from these people that I was going across the, co the country. If I was giving a talk uh, at an outside institution, I would talk to the young people there and some of the faculty there. Uh, and, you know, this is what I heard at CRTI. And so, so yes, we brought this uh, up. So I have a weekly call with the executive director and the deputy director of the American Society of Hematology, who are both fantastic. Um, and I have an every other week call uh, with our executive committee. Our, so which, you know, it's the president, it's the vice president, it's the president elect, it's the uh, treasurer, the secretary and and our, our counselors. Uh, um, so and there's Ash staff on that call. So that's every other week. And I, I brought up to um, our, our director and uh, executive uh, uh, and deputy director that, hey, this is this is something this is really gaining some momentum. And, and I think Ash needs to come out with with a statement here. And, um, you know, it, we we looked uh, we watched it for a little bit and. Um, then, you know, after a period of time and speaking to people and hearing more about this, we decided we need to come out with a with a, a fairly strong statement. But, you know, Ash, we're a subspecialty of medicine. Uh, you know, Ash can't own <laughs> ABIM, uh, but we're we're a pretty potent uh, actor there. So so we wanted to take our time and really investigate this as much as we could to find out as as much as we could about it. And then we brought it to the executive committee. And our initial statement was more about what we had done, what I told you about, uh, you know, back from 2001 and some of the successes we had. And how we were able to get the exam more focused, so we, you know, our members wouldn't have to take as many esoteric questions. But then, as we looked more into this LKA and heard more about this timing and some of the issues that Mikhail just described, we said, you know, we need to we need to rewrite this letter. This needs to be a little stronger. And uh, we brought that in September to the. Uh, we we had a, a program committee meeting where we talk about, you know, we had one day that was advocacy, one day that was uh, about uh, selecting, uh, you know, the newsworthy abstracts, the plenary abstracts, et cetera. Uh, and, and then we had a day where we have our, our executive committee uh, where, where um, you know, we talk about things related to ASH. And this was one of the topics. And um, we 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 had a we had a, a strong statement, but then we did some modifications. And after that, we all voted to approve it and uh, out it went. We did, as you implied, give ABIM a heads up. We sent it to them uh, 24 hours before it came out. And and again, you know, I, I want to get across we're not trying to necessarily blow up ABIM. We just want a test that will be not high stakes, much more formative, uh, uh, you know, in, information, something that's not going to burn people out. I mean, th there is so much burnout and time in front of the computer. Uh, and and we, we want it to be a, a process that, is evidence based, is transparent, and 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 where where people actually learn something. So, you know, ABIM said, oh, you know, Ash is for uh, just lifetime certification. That's not true. Ash is all about continuing medical education. Our members want to continue to learn, but not this way. Yeah, this I mean, and, and and Mikael, I mean, you know, people will argue, why do we need a test? At all. I mean, I want yeah. to go through the, the letter because uh, the reality is, you know, your, you know, your knowledge. I mean, it's hard to believe that after 20 years and taking care of hundreds and hundreds of patients with 
leukemia, life-threatening leukemias and MDS. You are a professor. You've got promoted. You do your CMEs. You go to ASH. You lecture internationally. It is hard for me to believe that your competency is judged based on a random test that is written by whoever it is. So my question to you is, why do we need one question is, why do we need a test whatsoever? And then we'll go over if we must have a test, which is the ASH proposal. Why do I need to be tested at all? Well, we agree with that. And 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 uh, meaning it doesn't necessarily have to be a test. There are other ways. So so and we are we don't have uh, we haven't come up with, hey, this is we want A, B, C, D. But we are we are actively looking at this right now to figure out the best way. Canada does it without an exam, right? They they have uh, you know it's I, I've spoken to some people and how they do it and how Australia does it and and it takes them about maybe uh, you know they spend a day and it takes them maybe three hours or so to put everything in to to uh, but that's that's what they do. They pay a fee. And it's but there's no test and and they can get uh, mock points through, uh, you know, going going to seminars, reading books, uh, going to a poster session, listening to a podcast, uh, you know, so there's other ways to show evidence of continuing med medical education that is that is formative and not high stakes and isn't going to stress people out with uh timers and clocks and everything we're not we have everything on the table you know maybe 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 there is a component where but but where's 30 questions come from why 30 right. why couldn't it be 50 you know I, I i just i remember when I, when i started uh when we were doing clinical trials there was a rule that your consent form couldn't be longer than three pages right and and honestly patients actually read it now we have consent forms that are 18, 20 pages. No patient reads it. It looks like a mortgage application. I, I would bet if, 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 if you had a, 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 you know, maybe 15 questions, I don't know the number, uh, you know, every four months, you would probably learn more than what you're, you're doing right now. And why should it be timed? Why shouldn't you be able to deal with this like you deal with a patient? That, that, that patient that you see once a year you're not going to, you know, quick up to date it and say, hey, you know, I just looked it up to date. Here's what you do. You're going to call an expert in that area and, and say, hey, how would you manage this? And that five, 10 minutes on the phone that you spend, you're going to learn more than if you read the whole up to date chapter and, and several of the references. Uh, so so that's the way we, you know, think that we some of the things we think we need to explore and, and agree don't necessarily think there needs to be a test. So the first point says, after careful consideration of the concerns raised by our members, Ash strongly urges the ABIM to take the following immediate actions, which I love, by the way, immediate, but we're going to go over the ABIM response. So the first one, it says, establish a new mock program that does not involve high stakes assessment, i.e. 10-year exam and the new LKA, rather self-driven by each physician and involves mandatory self-reporting of educational activities similar to the systems in Canada and Australia and New Zealand. Yep. Mikael, uh, do you want to comment what that is? Like how, what does that mean? Just like a, like a talk, uh, tell us like a fifth grader what that is. So I, I first of all, I'm, I, I will say I loved Ash's statement, okay? And it made me proud to be a member of Ash. And I don't say that in a glad handling sort of way like it was it was exactly where i was hoping that ash would land so you know i believe i'm not 100 percent familiar with the systems in canada australia or new zealand um, i know that after an initial exam um, then physicians develop their own personal kind of continuous learning plan and that could include group learning, conferences, courses, grand rounds, journal clubs, self-learning, or uh, and some form of assessment. Chadi, when when I think about this, so I I really don't like the test questions, and I will tell you, I'm the sort of person who takes a standardized test and I way overthink every single question, right? And my my personal foible is that I also I have to correct the awful grammar in a lot of these, or I can't get through the question. Right. This is like this this terrible 
neurotic quirk that I have, but I actually would, will sit and edit questions before I will answer them if they're written too poorly. That was my so. biggest concern about the statement. I was afraid that you... <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, 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 but again, I think so, so, aside from the New Zealand and Canada, it's the idea is self-driven by each physician. You know, the ABIM contends, what the ABIM tells you that medicine is evolving, a lot of things are happening, patients deserve the best of care. We can't really tell if the person is really maintaining education. So, Chadi, I would, I want to start with, with, with saying that the ABIM predicates its statements that the current system is good, right? Everything derives from continuing to write tests and have us answer test questions in some sort of pressured environment. And I reject that premise. Moving away from that, I would ask you the question, Chadi, what is it that actually changes and advances your own care of patients? You are an outstanding lymphoma doctor. When you alter something in your practice, what is it that altered it for you? And I would make the case that for me, it's reading a seminal article or it's hearing a talk from somebody who I think is just at the cutting edge of the field and thinks about something in a different way than I have before and I change my practice. So if you were to challenge me and say, what is it that I would count as something that would meaningfully affect the care of my patients? I would say, have us read a practice changing article and then actually write about it and then actually comment on how we'll change our practice. Have us attend a lecture or some sort of interactive opportunity with somebody who is a world leader in something we specialize in and then comment on what we learned from it and how we're going to change our practice. I think those are meaningful ways, but that's just the world. Yeah, of no, agree. Rob, and then the second point is revise the current LKA system. So if we are going to keep the LKA, I think what you're giving them, I, I'm just reading between the lines, you're giving them a way out. What you're saying, if you decide to keep the LKA, what we would like as Ash is to revise it as such, removing the time limits, um, so people can research as much as they want, allow them to consult a colleague and reducing the number to from 30 to 15. So in a sense, you're saying if you must, if you insist and we cannot reach any agreement and you want to keep the LKA, allow us to call a friend, take out uh, the time limit and we're too busy. We want 15 questions versus 30. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, that, that, that is a, a, I would say everything's on the table here. We we want to make sure that this process is fair, transparent, and of value. Right now, it's failing on all of those, and there are, and, and you know, oh, <laughs> no one likes to do this stuff. No matter what system, I'm sure they don't love it in Canada either. Uh, so, uh, but but. But we're not against continued lifelong learning. That's part of what we do. That's part of who we are. But why can't we come up with, I mean, there are, you know, we got AI reading all sorts of, uh, you know, complicated scientific things, uh, reading x-rays, bone marrows, blood smears. I mean, we can come up with an assessment that, that doesn't make Mikhail depressed and he's not the only one, uh, uh, and and demoralized, uh, but but actually learn something that is that is valuable. And and if that's some type of question, okay, you know, but but don't you know have have some some clarity. Don't don't have six million questions and do it every all, all the time. And it should it should reflect the way we practice, not 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 uh, you know under the clock uh, uh, timer. So, so again, uh, we're gonna, we aren't done with this. We're talking to other societies. We are continuing to have conversations with ABIM. Yeah, I'm disappointed. Well, the, with the, AB, the ABIM issued a statement literally within hours. I mean, obviously they knew that you were gonna come up with the statement. So, you know, they were prepared for this. This was not obviously, but, but their statement 
at least for somebody who was not involved in either statement, I felt that what you guys did and spent a lot of time to come up with fell almost on deaf ears. Because here's what they say. With regard to establishing an MOC program that does not involve high stakes assessment, they're saying ABIM has already in italics introduced a lower stakes MOC, which is the LKA. It's as if they did not even hear what you guys were saying. Launched in 2022, consists of physicians taking questions, ongoing basis, blah, blah. And they said 1353, 77% of hematologists have signed up for the mock as if we have a choice. I love when they actually put that, that they give this a 77% signed up for this. Well, duh, we had to, pretty much I would lose my certification. No physician can lose certification solely due to their performance on the LKA. What does that even mean, by the way? It means if you actually answer all of the questions wrong, to me, this was fascinating. It, literally what they say, no physician can lose certification solely due to their performance on the LKA. So if I answer the 30 questions wrong, I'm still certified. That's even counterintuitive. That means that that literally is telling me that I could suck in all of the questions. I'll still be birth certified. Yeah, I, again, I, I can't speak for them on, on this. I mean, I, I can say that <laughs> Certainly, Asher is is was disappointed. Uh, it, it, but but again, it doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to try and work with them to 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 affect change. The statement about the uh, the the longitudinal knowledge assess, assessment they did over the last year and a half, yeah, we 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 urged them to 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 have an option to the ten year high stakes exam. But we've had a chance to to examine this and to gain experience with this over the uh, last year and a half, and it really falls short. Uh, and and it's it's actually, I don't know, I don't know whether it's made things worse or better, or I, it's. But I do know it's not solving the problem that we've been hearing, uh, not just from our members. I mean. You saw X, I mean, the gastroenterologist, the rheumatologist, infectious disease, every sub internal medicine, every subspecialty you can think of has is 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 bothered by this. You know, they're going through a leadership change uh, with with Dr. Barron retiring. Um, you know, hopefully they'll they'll be um, a little bit more responsive, uh, but but Ash is committed to doing uh, what is best for their members, and we're going to pursue every possible op option uh, we can to to improve this process. Mikhail, one of the things that it says here that the um, LKA folks who participate, it took them less than a couple of minutes to answer the question. So the the ABIM is not understanding the time limit issue. No, they're not, Chadi, and, and their responses over and over again are predicated on maintaining the status quo, making little tweaks to it, but basically maintaining the status quo. And, and like I said earlier, I reject that premise. Um, these shouldn't be based on test questions. And when, uh, when you really question folks at ABIM, they'll talk about having to have a walking knowledge, therefore you shouldn't have unlimited time to think about a question. Um, I, I've never been time limited in thinking about how I'm going to treat a patient or how I'm going to diagnose a patient, or if I don't know something, how many people I'm going to call until I do know how to treat a patient. You know, when I wrote my uh, most recent essay, I actually got an email back from someone who's on the board of the ABIM, just to me. Uh, and it's someone who used to head up the MedOnc uh, section. And it, it was fascinating to read through um, how much he had drunk the Kool-Aid and accepted as basic fact some aspects of what they do. Um, so, for example, um, he talks about the longitudinal knowledge assessment, again, as being low stakes, and then in the email to me complains about the fact that they just don't have enough people to write the questions, so invites me to help write the questions and reflects on how artificial intelligence might start to write the questions for them so it'll be easier for them. He then talks about how writing essays that I did, that I have, questioning this whole process is um, spreading misinformation and eroding the public's trust and expertise. 
Wow. Wow. Yeah, pretty strong statements, right? For someone who wrote an opinion piece and has written these over time that and and ignoring the public opprobrium that has resulted from efforts that Aaron Goodman and you and Vince Rajkumar and, and Jack West and a lot of other people have done uh, to, to, to raise awareness. The fact that there's been this kind of reaction from societies and for the ABIM to shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, we, we already did what you asked, we're good. It just confounds me. Well, and, and I would add real quickly, it's not just the time. It's, it's the fact that, you know, I, I heard over and over again we're not learning. Yeah. We but, don't... but Rob, I mean, the, the bigger picture, I want to make sure we have like a path forward. Uh, first of all, I think everybody applauded the Ash statement. There's no question about it. It's probably very strong. It was extremely well received on social media by everybody. So congrats on that. And we genuinely believe it's a step in the right direction. But what is next? Because the pragmatic nature of things will tell you that healthcare systems and hospitals uh, really mandate that you must be certified because otherwise they cannot be reimbursed by payers for your services because the ABIM has talked to the payers. So in a sense, you know, some of this we have some control over, but I don't know what you guys can do or what we can do unless payers say, you know what? We're okay with the CME. So, so help me understand next steps, because I think there is another layer of this that requires talking to healthcare systems, you know, Hopkins, Miami, whatever it is, and the payer system, if we really want to make progress. No, I think you're absolutely right. And that's why I said earlier, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. We've been working with ABIM for... 20 years uh and we've made some progress and and there's been uh you know but but it's 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 got to get better and it's really come to a head but this is the american board of medical subspecialties we, we have to you know they're involved in this the ama is involved in this hospitals are involved in this payers are involved in this um and and you know the 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 other thing that people don't mention here is I always <laughs> look at these things from the patient standpoint. This isn't even good for patients. You know, I, I mean, I, I, you can't expect patients to to really have a have have a clear grasp and understanding that if if you polled a thousand patients, you know, do you want your doctor to have continuing medical education and you know recertification? The major, overwhelming majority say, yeah, 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 we need, to, we need to have that. And and we agree with them. You need to have continued learning. But you, you look how long it takes to see a physician and to get an appointment. And and how does this help? So, so you know, you, you, you don't want to go to a doctor that's, that's, that's been, you know, up all Saturday night because they're going to run out of their questions and have, uh, you know, have, haven't had a weekend and come in there, you know, burn out and bitter. Ash did a workforce survey of, of, of hematologists, oncologists around the country, about a third of them are, had real signs of burnout. That's not good for patients. Uh, but, you know, we learn, and especially the younger generation, uh, a lot younger than 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 me, learn in different ways than than you know I used to you know, and I still learn. Although I'm kind of seeing the the beauty in some of the way uh, the younger generation learns too. There's there's uh, there's good and bad things about that. So we have to evolve this, and it's it's going to take a, a huge effort. It's not going to be fixed by a petition. It's not going to be fixed by twenty thousand signatures or a hundred thousand signatures. There's going to have to be uh, a groundswell that comes from organizations and hospitals and payers uh, and patients, possibly, to 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 fix this process. Is there uh, an opportunity for legislation through the Ash policy uh, policy and going on the Hill and getting senators, congressmen, congresswomen to work with us? Yeah, this is not a this is not a simple fix. Uh, we will get there. I have no doubt that this will get better. Uh, I don't think ABIM uh, and I don't think uh, maintenance of certification is going away anytime soon, uh, but but we can improve this process and we need to continue to make this better for 
uh, our members and for our patients. So um, in the last, you know, five, five, six minutes, I know you guys are very busy and you've been very generous, generous for you, with your time. I just want to give listeners and viewers next steps. You've issued the statement. Clearly, it was strong. I think it was stronger than many other statements I have seen. It was well received. The, in my opinion, the ABIM response was very defensive. It actually was a reflection of how strong the ASH statement was. But what are the next steps? I mean, uh, Rob, I believe your term finishes uh, at the end of the year. Yep. And then you become past president. So you're still involved. This isn't just me, but no, no, is... you're still you're still involved. I know, but I mean, you know, it's it's under your your leadership, and obviously you you're, you're driving force with it. But um, what are the next steps? Like, what does the next six months look like on that particular front? Yeah, I think we're we we want to hear from other societies, and and we're we're there's a lot behind the scenes that goes on. Don't don't think that that Ash is just sitting on their hands and waiting for the next. You know, all right, you know, we came out with a statement, we're done. Uh, no. Uh, we, uh, we have, there's Ash staff that works on this, uh, and spends maybe 20, 30% of their time just working, uh, on this. We are going to continue to communicate with ABIM, uh, to try and, and get them to, to, to move the needle. We're going to be able to talk to other societies. Uh, you know, we're, we have a pretty close relationship with, with many of the other medical societies, including ASCO. There's a lot of overlap with our membership there. Um, I know they're doing a survey and, and, you know, Ash is really leaving everything on the table, but we're not going to be able to do this as a single subspecialty. We need other subspecialties. We need departments of internal medicine. I haven't heard from too many chairs of medicine. Have you? No, <laughs> I was going to actually ask you, like, how do we get, like, I haven't heard from Amer American college of cardiology, like, and there's a lot of other societies that have not been there. And you're right. I mean, hematologists and oncologists are probably in total 10% of the entire workforce. Yeah. How do we get other societies to be engaged? Well, that, that that's from? that's the that's the behind the scenes stuff that, yeah. that Ash is 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 doing. And we have a lot of connections uh uh with them. And and uh you know, we're 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 like I said, every every everything is on the table. We're gonna get more information from other societies, we're collecting more information. Uh, from other, from what they do in other countries, and and we are going to continue to work at some level with ABIM to see if 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 they can you know if they will work with us. We would love to work with them to make this better. I mean, you know, I'm not trying. We're, we're not trying to like I said, we're not trying to kill ABIM. Uh, what we are trying to do is make this better for our members and make this better for our patients, and so that you know uh, when doctors take these. Uh, or fill this continuing medical education out. It's it's reflective of new knowledge that makes them a better physician, not just you know this. I think I think you know what you know the 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 disconnect I see because you know as you know I've interviewed Rich Barron on my podcast. He did come on my podcast. I've interviewed the Society of Cardiovascular Intervention and Angiography, who issued a very strong statement. And, and the disconnect is, you know, when you talk to Rich, for example, he would say, well, it's 30 questions every 90 days. And when you hear that, it's clearly a disconnect of not understanding what the life looks like of somebody who is really in practice and doing research. Yes, it's 30 questions, but it's one more thing. Yep. And in my podcast with him, I actually challenged him and I did say, what if I tell you all what you have to do in 12 months are six pre-authorizations? Only six pre-auths. I mean, it's not a lot, but we all know how annoying and stressful and demeaning these pre-auths, right? And it, even if you do one of them, it's stressful. So I think that's really where the disconnect, it doesn't, it, I didn't get the impression from them. They really understand what our lives are. They're going to hear. And, and that's where social media plays a role. That's where articles uh, that Dr. Sekaris is writing plays a role. That's where podcasts like what you're doing is going to play a role. And and we're this is going to change. Yeah. It's not going to change next month, not going to change by January 24. 
But this is going to change. Uh, hopefully, not much longer than that. Well, it's uh, we're looking for. I mean, I'm I don't know. I'm thinking Brodsky for Pre Brodsky 2024. What do you think, Mikhail? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Actually, there could be an opening on either party. He, he could literally for. run on this, and he will get so many votes. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going I'm going back to my lab and seeing patients and teaching. <laughs> well, um, really, um, Dr. Brodsky, Dr. Sikaris, thank you so much for coming on Healthcare Unfiltered. Is there anything else we should leave listeners and viewers with that I may have forgotten or missed? You know, what I took out of this, Chadi, is, is we shouldn't stop, right? This is going to be a complicated process, but unless we continue to advocate for ourselves and as Dr. Brodsky said really eloquently, advocate for our patients, right? The Surgeon General issued a public health warning about burnout in healthcare providers. Having us do a every three month torture session of questions is making that burnout worse. That's making our care of patients worse. This is in the end, not just about us wanting to do less. We want to be lifelong learners, but we want to do it in a meaningful way that will improve the health and care of our patients. And to do that, we need to keep advocating to eliminate systems that in any way compromise that care. Well stated. Rob, any final thoughts? Oh, I think he, I, I, I think he summed it up very well. We, we, Ash is not going to uh, stop with this and, and we're not going to stop, you know, the, all the channels that are, that are open right now. I think the pressure needs to stay on to make this process one that works for internists, gastroenterologists, cardiologists, hematologists, and our patients. Uh, and and that's really the the key. And I I, I want to thank you uh, because uh, it's podcasts like this that that reach that reach a lot of people and and that uh, keep the keep the pressure on to to make this a better system and. No, I, I really appreciate it. And um, thank you for uh, listening to your membership. Thank you for listening to your stakeholders. Thank you for having our back and trying. I don't believe that this is going to happen uh, overnight. And you know what? It may never happen as well, but at least you're trying. And it's a genuine effort. And um, I couldn't thank you enough. And I appreciate you giving us uh, some time on Healthcare Unfiltered. Folks, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you tuning in and thank you to my esteemed guests, Drs. Brodsky and Sikiris, and thank you to Ash, the American Society of Hematology, for starting a process that I'm confident is going to lead to significant modifications and changes that ultimately is going to help the hematologists and all other constituents in internal medicine and its subspecialties. So thank you. Don't forget to rate the show, subscribe to it, and let me know what you think by direct messaging me on Twitter or emailing me and following me on both social media uh, platforms, Twitter and Instagram. Before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a saying by John Maxwell on leadership. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. Until next time, take care.